Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So this chapter that uh, we've just heard from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, comes immediately before chapter 18, which is the betrayal, uh, torture, crucifixion, and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is happening immediately before this is going to happen, that Jesus knows is going to happen. Uh, What is on his heart? What is he talking to the Father about? What is he praying about? You and I. Right before he is handed over to an excruciating death, we hear that our Lord Jesus Christ is praying for his disciples and for us. Because the verse immediately after that last one that was just read in John 17, this is from John 17:20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, he's praying for the disciples and for us who are the inheritors of the word that has been transferred from the disciples to followers, to followers, to followers throughout the ages to us here. We are in Jesus' heart before he goes to the cross in prayer. And if you look back at that page uh, that you have in the insert, in your bulletin insert on John's Gospel, it is packed. It is so solid. We could do a whole sermon series on this. We're not going to, but there's so much in there. Let me try and unpack it a little bit for you. First of all, he starts off this prayer by telling us, by reminding us about his relationship with the Father. This dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All that was yours is mine. All that is mine is yours, says Jesus. I've given them your word. Your word is what I've received, and I've given it on to them. I'm not... In this world, I'm returning to you. And elsewhere we hear he's returning to the glory that he had with the Father uh, from the beginning of time, from, from the beginning, from always. That he was with the Father, that he had, he was glory, had the glory in the heavens before he became incarnate and he is returning to the Father. I am no longer in this world, he says, but he is still physically present in this world, so what does that mean? But he's just talking about this intimate relationship that the Son does nothing without the Father. 
and that the two of them are intimately combined. We have here, of course, the Trinity, the, uh, the gospel about the Trinity. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's given his own words, his, the Father's words, he has given on to his disciples who weren't his but are his because they were the Father's. And because they were already the Father's, they are his also, just as we are the Father's and are also his. This is this amazing dance. We are both the Father's and the Son because it is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the prayer is, I've protected them. While I was with them, I cared for them. Like a shepherd for the sheep, I protected them from the enemy. Now, Father, I hand that protection over to you. For I am going to you. Protect them in the name that you have given me, which is your own name. That goes back to the I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. Yahweh, his name is God's name. Lord, Adonai, it's one and the same. Protect them in the name that is yours that you have given me. He knows it's not a babysitter. This is God the Father. He can leave his own who are the Father's own in the Father's care and protection. Protect them from the evil one. The word, the Father's word has been given to them and they have understood that word and they have believed that word. They have trusted the word that Jesus has spoken from the Father to those. They've taken it in. Keep them in that word. And then we get this a conversation about the world. I'm no longer in the world, says Jesus. They are in the world, but not of the world. Don't take them out of the world, but protect them while they're in the world. As you have sent me, I am sending them into the world. So what, what does this word world mean in this context for Jesus? So it's not so much the physical universe, although it is that because Jesus is still present in that physical universe of the earth. But when he's talking about world here, he's talking about that realm which has fallen under the thrall of the enemy, of the evil one, that has fallen into sin, decay, and death because it is still enthralled to evil. It is the fallen creation. And Jesus, as he did, coming from heaven, coming from heaven's realm, coming from God's place of rule and reign, he brought heaven, that place, with him into the earth into Satan's realm, where there continues to be sin and death. But he is not subject to that. He was tempted and yet never sinned, was without sin. And so when he says, I am not in this world, he, is, he does not have sin and he will go through death, but he is outside of this realm. He's brought heaven's realm into this realm 
And the amazing thing is, is that after Pentecost and through baptism, we also are incorporated into heaven's realm. Heaven's realm is within us. We at that point move from mortal life where we die eternally to eternal life where we live eternally. So heaven is God's place. Because we, uh, we are the temple of God's Holy Spirit, live within us. Now, that's a huge amount of theology right there. But basically, he's saying, don't take them out of this physical world. Don't take them out of this place where there is still sin and death and suffering. Because as the Father sent me, I'm sending them out into that world. Protect them in that world. But keep them in that world because they have the same task, the same ministry, the same job that I had. And that is is to spread light into the darkness, to be the change agents into the darkness. Protect them because they're part of me. They're part of you and I, Father. So protect them. But don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world protected by you. Set apart in the truth, he says, and the truth is your word. As I have been sanctified, which means set apart, consecrated, so may they also be set apart, consecrated in the truth of your word. Don't let the enemy draw them back into the earthly realm, subject to sin and the ramifications of sin. Protect them while they're here so that they can continue to spread the light into the darkness. Because, you see, we have a job. We have a mandate, and it is to be revolutionaries. It's to be subversives. It's to be anti-evil, anti-darkness forces that rather than being taken out of the world or drawn back into that earthly fallen world, we are to overcome that world in God's power by spreading his light, spreading light into darkness, by actually bringing heaven's realm into earth's realm, intersecting parallel realms that, um, that intersect in us, as they intersected in the God-man, Jesus. And so we are to bring heaven's realm, which is all what Jesus is talking about. How do we do that? That's his gospel message is about forgiveness and all of those things in the Sermon on the Mount. We're to continue to be those people into the world. Set apart people and yet place squarely within that which is coming against us as the enemy of our souls, but protected in God the Father and God the Son. And the disciples continue this set-apart ministry in the truth of the word. They keep going back to the word. They keep continuing on in prayer, Word, the Bible, and prayer. 
it's the, it's the continual theme throughout the Acts of the Apostles as we see that light into the darkness now given to the disciples to do the work that Jesus began. You know, this last Thursday marked on the church's calendar the ascension of Jesus back to the Father. Um, this last Thursday and so we count from there there were 40 days um, after the resurrection that he was with the disciples we've got some of those stories we don't have all of those stories but in his resurrected body which was a spiritual body but not a ghostly spiritual body a physical spiritual body because it was a body that could be touched, that could be held, that ate, and yet it was not constrained as our physical bodies are. In other words, it's a new form of body. And it's a physical body, but it's a spiritual body. It was not as a ghost. It was not as a pure spiritual form that Jesus ascended to the Father. Once the Son of God became incarnate and took on our humanity while being truly God and truly man, he didn't then just kind of metamorphose back into a spiritual being when he ascended to the Father. We hear that he ascended in that resurrected body. And we hear in uh, Romans and Hebrews and other places in the New Testament that he continues to intercede for us at the Father's right hand. So the amazing thing is, is that within the Godhead is now a resurrected body that knows our humanity because was human with us and continues in that physical, spiritual, resurrected body, knowing intimately what it is like to be human and interceding for us. So the story about the ascension comes in the Acts of the Apostles immediately after Jesus has given his command to the disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as we've been seeing over the last few Sundays. And then it says, and when he had said these things, immediately he's given them this charge. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were still gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What are you doing? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, we're in this in-between time. Jesus has already changed history by his incarnation. At that point in time, the world shifted. Heaven had come to earth. And heaven continues to live within us, God's way, God's realm, God's being as the temple of God's Holy Spirit heaven and yet we're in these earthly bodies intersecting within us to go out into into the world but jesus 
who is the God-man, who is now fully in heaven's realm, intersecting through to the earthly realm, will come again. The angels say, don't just stand there. He's going to return. In the meantime, we've been given our marching orders. We've been given a mandate as to what we're to do in this interim time. But we always hang on to the promise that Jesus will return. And as we hear in Revelation, when he returns, earth's realm and heaven's realm will be made new. That those will no longer be separated. All that is fallen and of the evil in this earth will be completely done away with. And heaven and earth's realm will be new. A new heaven and earth. And that's the promise that we have. But in the meantime... We have a job to do. We have things that we need to do. And so what happens afterwards is that we hear that the apostles, immediately after the ascension, they've been given the promise to wait because they're going to receive power from on high. In another 10 days, for us now next Sunday, Pentecost happens. And the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples and with the Holy Spirit comes the power of God. So we read, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Remember the same room that they had eaten the last supper with Jesus in, where they were staying. And here they are, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That's what they were doing in the upper room. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And we hear that there are at least 120 of them who are gathered together. And at the same time as devoting themselves to prayer, we know that they're also devoting themselves to the scriptures because Peter gets up and says, look, in the Psalms, which foretold about Messiah, we read that we need to make up the number of the 12. We're now just 11, but we need to make up the number to the 12 and that needs to be with one person who was with us from the time of Jesus's baptism in the Jordan to the time of his resurrection and ascension in other words we need somebody who was a first-hand witness not somebody who heard about it but somebody who was a first-hand witness to that fact why did they need to make up the number of 11 to 12? They didn't have to do it when the others started to die off. But for this time, they read back in Scripture and they understand that they need to make the full number up to 12. 
Well, that's next week's sermon, so you have to come back for it. (laughs) So I don't have time to get into that this week. But what happens is that, that how do they do that? Well, what do they do? They pray. They pray about it. And first of all, as we do in prayer, is we say those things about God that place us in the truth and in the hope, the sure hope, of prayer, reaching the Father. So they say, we know you're omniscient, you're omnipotent, you know all things and you have power over all things. We know that you know the hearts of people. So evidently, there are more than just the 12 who have been with Jesus from the time of his baptism to the time of his ascension because that's the parameter. That's the basic. And so we know that although he said apart the 12, there are others that have been with them all through this time. And two names of maybe many are put in uh, Justice and Matthias. And so what do they do? God, it's your choice. So they cast lots. Two equally qualified people, and they cast lots, and the lot falls on Matthias. The only thing we know about Matthias, that he made up the full number of the twelve. We know absolutely nothing else about Matthias. But he was God's choice to make up the twelve. And they went about it through looking at scripture and through prayer. As an aside, you know, the Eastern Orthodox still continues to do that, that they come up with the names of people who could be uh, the next archbishop of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And, uh, and, and they put in a bowl and a young boy uh, pulls out a name. And uh, that's how the Eastern Orthodox goes about that. Uh, so it's still, God's, it's still God's work, right? It's, it's God's hand on them. And so they continue in prayer, we hear. We read, after the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those of you in the confirmation class or the reception class, or maybe some of you will remember this passage as being one of the vows that were made over you if you were an infant when you were baptized, that you made for yourself and that we say again and revow every time we have a baptism, because this is part of the baptismal covenant that we renew each time there is a baptism here and that we say for ourselves at confirmation that we will continue in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers. That's a vow that we have made to God before God to continue. That's a covenant prayer that we have made. Prayer is integral for the life of of the Christian. You know, this last week on Thursday, I had the amazing privilege and blessing of being at um, a champion of uh, a, a Legacy of Champions luncheon at, um, down near the convention center for the Mental Health Association of Central Florida. 
Um, I, I got to know about that or got to be invited in to do the invocation for the last two or three years at that because uh, Roy and Bev Lasseter um, and Candy Crawford are, are um, associated with that. In fact, Candy is in charge of it. And we've had some good speakers. Um, and then I hear that this year's speaker is Herschel Walker. Well, any of you who know me well know that I know nothing about sports. Um, <laughs> Nothing about sports. If I, if I include a sports analogy in my sermon, it's because I've gone out onto the internet and found it. Um, because I, then I have to ask Pat why it makes sense the way it makes sense. So I understand then that Herschel Walker used to play football. And so I'm thinking, you know, well, I'm going to have a good time because I'm, you know, I'm with friends and this is going to be okay, but it's going to go over my head because they're going to be talking about football and sports and they're going to be things that I just don't understand. Even after all of these years of marriage, Pat has not managed to inculcate football into my life at all. So he gets up, Herschel Walker gets up, he's a big, big guy, and he gets up and says, first of all, I'm going to give glory to Jesus Christ who is my Lord and Savior because it says in his holy word that if we do not acknowledge him before man, he will not acknowledge us before his father. And I'm sitting up, I'm thinking, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not going where I thought it was going to go. So immediately my ears perk up. And this man, I tell you what, for half an hour spoke. He was funny. He was humble, he was truthful, and he grounded everything in God's word and through prayer. I was blown away. I'm going, I just had the most amazing half an hour. I haven't heard anything that good in decades. He said, when I started to play, he said, I was bullied as a child, and that created a lot of anger within me that got pushed down. He said, and then they came to me and the scouts came and my mom wanted me to go to, my mom and dad wanted me to go to university. He said, I wanted to become a Marine. But they came and I, I couldn't let my parents down. So, um, but I didn't want to go to the University of Georgia. I guess he was at the University of Georgia. But anyway, he said, I didn't want to go to the University of Georgia. I wanted to go to Clemson. So I prayed to God and I said, okay, God, I'm going to flip a, to a coin. And if it lands on this way, I'll, uh, I'll, go to, uh, I'll go to Clemson and let's just see where it goes. So it falls and it's to the University of Georgia. So he says, okay, God, best out of five. <laughs> and three in succession are for the University of Georgia. He says, okay, I'm going to the University of Georgia. Once he left football, um, he said he began, his personality began to change. And he was doing things that he didn't even know that he was doing. And his wife said, I'm, you know, I'm fearful at times. And so he prayed to God and he knew that he needed to get help. First of all, he went to a church and they tried to do an exorcism on him. And he said, I can go back to that church again. But he said, I knew that I needed help. Now, there is, a, there is a time for exorcism, don't get me wrong, but this was not it. 
Um, he said he prayed and he realized he needed to get help in the mental health field. And, and so he did. He said what he was diagnosed with was dissociative identity disorder, like multiple personality disorder. And that was, you know, some of that was this anger about being bullied as a child that had come out. But his whole story was about the faith that had been handed on to him from his mother and his father, but that was such a part of his life that he took it to the Lord in prayer all the time. That's what the Christian life is about, taking everything to the Lord in prayer. There's another story about a man called Ned, who is an Australian attorney. He went to Kenya on a mission trip, thinking, you know, he's going to come and he's going to help these poor kids in Kenya um, with, with, you know, mission work and everything. And so he's, he's with the children in the slums of Nairobi and they're just joy-filled children and they're hanging on to him and they're playing games, they're having a great time and he's with them for about a week or so and then he says he, he has to leave. And he's telling the children this in the, in the middle of this shanty town and in this, in this dark slum hovel. And from the corner in the dark of this hovel comes the words, We pray for the people of Australia, for Ned and his family. And immediately the children quieten down and respond, Jesus, remember them when you come into your kingdom. And he was so struck that he had gone intending to help them. And these children in the middle of slums, one of the worst areas, were praying for him and for his country. And he said that prayer hit him really hard. And he thought to himself, God, if Australia has any hope at all, it will be because of kids like these. It will be because of prayer by the innocent. It will be because we are praying for Australia. Children a continent away with nothing are praying for this man and his country. That's what we're about. We're to pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world. The foundation of who we are as Christians is the ministry of prayer and the reading of Scripture so that our prayer is in consort with God's word in his holy word in Scripture and that we're not praying against his holy word but with his holy word. You know, that has been a part of what Good Shepherd has done over the years. Bishop Whipple was a man of prayer. This congregation has known about prayer and enters into a ministry of prayer. You might not know it, but there are those of you in this congregation that I know who are part of the intercessory prayer team. 
Anything that's required to be an intercessor on the prayer team is to sign a covenant of confidentiality because we hold a really high level of confidentiality. We don't talk about prayers amongst ourselves unless the person has given us the authority to do so. We don't talk about it with anybody else. Those prayers are confidential. They can be sent out through our website in the assurance of complete confidentiality. And the only other thing is that I ask people to read through Richard Foster's book on prayer, which I think is just an amazing book on prayer. And there are people out here in this congregation who I know are interceding for those requests that come in through our website. Do you know that through God's provision, and God uses Google, I'm assured of that, Because we get prayer requests. Last week we got a prayer request from Chennai in southern India. It was about a page long. We get prayer requests from Kenya. We get prayer requests from Nigeria. We get prayer requests from Uganda. We've gotten prayer requests from the Lebanon. We've gotten prayer requests from Egypt. Somehow or other, when somebody Googles in, I need somebody to pray, we come to the top of the list. Or we come close anyway. You know, after that prayer request from India, the website went down. The server that was holding our website crashed. And I've been on the phone with GoDaddy for I won't even go into how long. Um, It is finally up. It's not completely resolved. But anyway, just to tell you that this ministry of prayer is being blessed by God. Because evidently, he's sending his children who need to be prayed for to that website to enter in prayer requests. We get prayer requests from parishioners. We get prayer requests from people locally who we don't know. I mean, it's not just from abroad that we get prayer requests. We get prayer requests from this country, and who knows where they are in this country, because, of course, they they don't say in there. They give us their email in case they need to be contacted just have a word of comfort and reassurance that we've gotten their prayer and that we're praying for them. And then we hear that those prayers are being answered, that relationships are being healed, physical healings are taking place, emotional inner healing is taking place, and spiritual healing is taking place, and that the protection from the works of the enemy are taking place. That somehow or other, because in God's perfect provision... He releases his power through the prayers of his people. We have been, we have an order of St. Luke the physician who are here uh, at this, in this healing ministry transept to pray over you for healing. And on Wednesdays, we have a little group, a small group, who is so dedicated and so faithful. I, I got this overwhelming sense on Wednesday of how powerful that little group's prayers are. We start off, we do Tabitha's treasures, and then we go into noonday prayer, and we pray for the world. 
We pray for countries in crisis. We pray for people who are the victims of unspeakable violence. We pray for refugees. Uh, We pray for all of those things that we're bombarded with in the news. We pray for people everywhere. And then we pray for this community. And by that, I mean we pray for Orlando. We pray for God's light into Orlando. We pray for the leadership in Orlando and in Maitland. Uh, We use some resources to do that. But we enter into that prayer. And then we pray for the global church, for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Then we pray for the national church. We pray for the local diocese. We pray for this church. We pray for every single ministry that the Lord has placed in this place by name and with a paragraph or so prayer. We pray for the staff. We pray for the vestry. They pray for me. We pray and we pray and we pray. We pray over every single name that's on the back of your Good News Daily, if you pick that up at the back there. Everybody who is on that prayer request, their names are named before God who knows every need. If your name is read out in the prayers here, they're read out again on Wednesday. And then we go into a time of quiet, a time of silent prayer. And we stand in that, we sit in that time of silent prayer for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, depending on how the Lord leads. And there are times when you can feel the power of the Holy Spirit just brooding over that time. Just consecrating that time. And one person said this last Wednesday, she said, you know, I I spend a lot of time of prayer by myself at home. Said, but this time, this time of prayer together, said, I know there's so much power in this corporate prayer that we pray together for all of these needs. And it's true. So I invite you, I know many of you work, so you can't come. But at noontime on Wednesday, you might offer up a prayer covering over what we're doing on that Wednesday. But you know the one thing that I realize that we haven't ever prayed for? We haven't prayed the prayer that comes in Acts 2.42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, we do that, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers and what happened. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We have not prayed that prayer. We have not prayed, Lord, day by day, add to our number those who are being saved. Have we prayed in our mind's eye for everybody who is not yet saved in Maitland Shores, for everybody who does not yet know the Lord and the strength of his power and his joy and his peace and his love and his saving grace in Park Lake townhomes. Have we prayed, Lord, increase our numbers, those who are not yet saved, but you would bring into your salvation and into your eternal life in the villages, in all of those condominiums up and down 1792? Have we prayed, Lord, day by day, 
add to the numbers of those who are being saved. I challenge you to include that in your prayers this coming week. If you can do it longer, fine. But this week, day by day, Lord, add to our numbers those who are being saved. Now, it's a dangerous prayer, so go into it advisedly. Because he might just use the power of that prayer to bring people through those doors to hear the love of Christ, to know the grace that is extended to all God's children. But it might be that he said, you remember that family member, that co-worker, that neighbor, that friend that's been on your heart that I've kind of placed there for you? Now's the time to introduce them to Jesus. Now's the time that they can be saved. That's a dangerous prayer, so go into it advisedly. It might just be that he uses your prayers to open up the gates. You know, we have a really short frontage here. So people drive by and then they have to come here for something and they go, gosh, we really didn't know you were there. He says, but it's really long. It goes back a long way, but it's a really short frontage. It might be that God just opens up the eyes of people and say, oh, I wonder what that church is like. Lord, Day by day, add to the number those who are being saved. See, a believer prays and heaven responds. A sinner repents and angels rejoice. A mission succeeds and Satan falls like lightning. You see, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed before his death. He prayed that we would be protected, but we would be the ones who go into the world to bring his light into the dark places so that those who do not yet know him will know him and that day by day he adds to our number those who are being saved. Amen.